Well, we are in the Beatitudes, so if you have your Bible or your iPad or your iPhone or whatever electronic gadget you got, uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, and we'll be looking at verses 10 through uh, 12. These are the last uh, of the Beatitudes, and we're going to be looking at that. And I think one of the, the, in my opinion, one of the tougher ones to deal with, uh, especially for the church in the West. Not so tough for churches in the East, because they deal with persecution all the time. Uh, They're dealing with it today. They have throughout their life. But for those in the West, we're not as uh, acquainted with this as others. And so I want to help give us a little context and then apply it to our lives. So uh, here's the thing. You don't need Scott Cook this morning. What you need is Jesus. Amen? And what you need is revelation in your spirit. You don't need more knowledge. We've all got enough knowledge to get us to heaven. Right? If you've read your Bible, you got the knowledge. Knowledge is good, but what you need is a touch of the Savior who lives within you if you're a believer. If you're not a believer, my prayer today is that you will be saved and that you'll see that the Lord Jesus will reveal himself. So my prayer has always been that God would simply reveal and work in your heart where the Spirit dwells and open our eyes and our ears. That's what Jesus used to say, right? That we would have ears to hear and eyes to see. And so my question is, is Scott Cook, do you have ears to hear? Do you have eyes to see? And we're talking about that in the spirit. Because the flesh doesn't profit anything. So my, my prayer and desire is that he would open our eyes, that he would open our ears, and that when we, we are listening, what we're doing is we're listening to Jesus. And you know what I'm talking about, right? And God gives us that revelation. I'm not talking about revelation in the Bible. The Bible said, I'm talking about your relationship with him in the spirit. Where God can break through and reveal himself to you in your specific situation where you're at today. And that's life, and it's bread, and it's meat, and it's drink, and you know it when you taste it. Right? That's my, that's my prayer. So let's, let's pray before we get started. Father, thank you for the time together. And I am praying for Scott Cook to get out of the way and for Jesus to be in charge. And that you would have your way in this time. And I thank you that you've done it, that you're doing it. And we thank you for the results because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're looking at blessed are the persecuted. I was in Germany 20 years ago. I had flown uh, a leg from India where I'd been for three weeks uh, in Madras and in the surrounding uh, environs there, the the suburbs, and really out in the country uh, preaching the gospel. And so I'd come back, and I was with a group. We stopped in Frankfurt, Germany. We had a one-day layover. And so they were exhausted, but I was, you know, I, was a, you know, I was a younger guy then. I was about 32, 33. And so I decided I would go out and see Frankfurt. Now, this is my one chance. So I went out, and I started uh, walking around, and I decided I would brave the, uh, I don't know if you want to call them subways, but uh, I would brave these little trains that they have there. But I really didn't know what train would lead me where. And so I got on the train, and there was a young German man there, probably 10 years younger than me. And I said, hey... How do I get from the red train to the blue train? If I get off at this next stop, will that get me to the blue train? And, you know, being from Texas, with the Texas accent, American, boy, it's all stuff people love. (laughs) He looked at me, and of course most of them speak English. He looked at me and and basically said uh, something to the effect, and I won't say exactly because it was bad words, but uh, he was like, no help for you. With a little bit added on to that. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, what did I do? And then he goes, just get out of here. Just leave this country. Why are you here to begin with? 
And I mean, he raked me up one side and down the other. Well, in the middle of that, there was an older German woman sitting down towards the back of the train, and she said something in German to him, and he turns around and looks at her. And whatever it is that she said, I don't know what it was, but it cut him off in his tracks. And then he kind of looked at me and scowled, and he, and he walked away. And I looked at her, and I said, uh, English? And she was like, yes, I speak English. She was probably in her 60s. And I said, what did I do? And I'm starting like, oh, man, I, you know, this guy's going to postal on me. I don't know what I'm going to do. And she said, oh, no, there's nothing that you did. She said, she just hates you. He just hates you. I said, he just hates me. Why does he hate me? Because you're American. Because I'm an American. Doesn't he know what we did for, the, for this country 50 years? Are you kidding me? And she said, oh, yeah, it's not just you. All the younger people his age hate you. They hate you. And they hate the fact that you're over here. And he, she said, she said, it's not necessarily everybody, but a lot of folks his age and where he's at, they don't like you. And she said, but I do. <laughs> and she said, let me tell you how to get to the red train. And so she told me how to do that. And uh, I told her then, well, I was there. She said, what are you doing here? And I told her I got to share with her about Christ. And so as I was standing there waiting for the train to stop, all of a sudden it dawned on me, I'm a foreigner in a foreign country. And why did I feel that way? Because that guy reminded me, this is not my country. It's his country. It's his home. I'm just passing through. And as I got off of there, I thought about that the whole time. It was really interesting. And when my plane landed the next day at DFW, and I can remember getting off, and I remember saying, Father, thank you. I'm home. I know that when I get here, no one's going to say, I hate you. At least I don't think. You never know. (laughs) It could happen. But I was at home. I had gotten out from that foreign country and I had come home. And I was back in my country. Back where I belong. And as beautiful as Germany was, and actually most of the people were very nice. It was interesting. I would go to McDonald's. I would order a drink and my food. And when the food would come, it's not the same portion that you get here. I mean, it's a smaller portion. And I'm thinking, hey, I think I need two of those. Maybe not just one. Uh... And then they would never put ice in my drink. I would get it, and it was just, there was never any ice. And so I would get it, and I'd get back in line. This way, I'd have to get back in line, get back in line, hold my drink. I'd get there, you know, okay, I, I need ice. And then they would put three cubes in. And I said, oh, wait a second, no, you don't get it. I want a lot of ice. Well, that'll take, that'll take up all your space. I'm like, yeah, that's the point. I, I, I want a lot of ice. Well, that doesn't make any sense. I said, I know, but I'm from, I'm from America, and I'm stupid, and I want a lot of ice. And so... That's just the way it is. So it was those types of things that reminded me of the fact that uh, I, was, I was in a foreign country. You know, we live in a world that is not our home as believers. And the fact of who we are in Christ makes us targets of the enemy through this world system. Because Christ lives in you. Jesus knew this when he told us to rejoice in the midst of persecution. In the midst of persecution, he says, listen, I want you to rejoice. I want you to rejoice. The book of Matthew was written, I I believe, to Jews who may have been unbelieving or needed further help in understanding the gospel, understanding who Jesus was. In some ways, like the purpose of the book of Hebrews. It was also written to those who were in the faith and needed encouragement, like the book of Hebrews. From what? Judaism and the persecution that came from those coming out of the law and the old covenant into what? The new covenant. They needed that encouragement of where they were to where they were going because Jesus was talking to Jewish people here. And he knew, especially his disciples, that once they were saved, that they would be coming out of the Old Covenant and into the New Covenant, and their lot would be persecution. 
That's what it would be. Because of Christ in them, the hope of glory. No longer the law, no longer doing, no longer trying to achieve, but now resting in a finished work in Jesus Christ. And that would be the point of conflict. Jesus, the Messiah, risen from the dead. And so he's saying, blessed are you when you're persecuted. So let's take a look at that. Verse 10, and we're just going to go verse by verse here. And the first verse says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed could be translated, as I've said before, spiritually prosperous. Spiritually prosperous are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Those who are persecuted could be translated having been persecuted. It's perfect tense with past action with continuing effect. This continues to impact them. It happened in the past, probably continually. It continues to impact them today. They were and they are. Righteousness is that which is divine righteousness. It's not my righteousness. It's not your righteousness. It's Christ in us who is our righteousness. And that's a very important point. Because it is for that righteousness that there's persecution. Christ's righteousness in us. The word is here is present tense, not in the future, but right now. That's why he says, is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm being persecuted, and that's why Jesus is living in me. People recognize that, because the kingdom of God is in you. Kingdom of heaven is his sovereignty, authority, rule, specifically in the hearts of men and women. Especially refers to the rule of Christ in the believer's heart. When you see how this word is used in Scripture. It is that ideal of Christ being sovereign, living within you. So if you look at this, spiritually prosperous are those who are persecuted uh, previously and now for righteousness' sake, because right now theirs is the kingdom of heaven at this moment. Jesus uh, had some things to say about this as well. John 18.36, it says this, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. What's he saying? It's not a physical kingdom. Now we know one day Jesus will come again. And during the millennium, he will set up a reign here from Jerusalem. And that will be a physical kingdom. And it will be the way things should have been begun to begin with. And Jesus will rule during that time. But what Jesus is telling, he's talking to Pilate. Here, before he is crucified, and Pilate is trying to figure out who he is. And what he's saying to him is, yes, I am a king, and for that purpose I came. But my kingdom is not of this world. It's of the Spirit within our hearts. Matthew 17, 20-21 says this, Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. In other words, it's not what you see physically. Nor will they say, see here, or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is not an organization built by man. It's not Southern Baptist, or Methodist, or Protestant. It's not Catholic. It's not a denomination. It's Jesus. Exactly Jesus. In the Spirit. And that Spirit, if you know Him, lives in you. Right now. In John 3, 3, it says this, Jesus answered them, and this is talking to uh, Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What is Jesus saying? Well, if you take these three things together, he's trying to say, one, my kingdom's not of this world. Two, it lives within you. Three, it's when you're born again. In the Spirit. 
by the Spirit. Here's my first life point. Christ's kingdom is in the Spirit in our hearts, and everything in this present worldly kingdom will resist it. Everything in this worldly kingdom of this world will resist it. Believers are persecuted because Christ, who is our righteousness, lives in us and through us, and when we naturally stand out in the crowd when that happens. I can remember being at work, and when people found out my background and that type of thing, they began to avoid me. They didn't want to be around me. And when they started to talk to me, they'd always be careful about what they were saying. And the reason for that is Jesus. His life. Because I, to a lost person, bring the stench of death. What do I mean by that? Well, Christ is life, and what they're living in in the first Adam is death. And every time I'm around them, I remind them of the life of Jesus. And the reality of His saving grace. And the reality that one day there will be judgment. And that I cannot simply live my life the way I want, trying to be good, and think that one day when I see God, it'll all be okay, because it will not apart from the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. It simply won't. And so we are persecuted because naturally that life is righteousness and this life resists it. And there's going to be persecution with that. The spirit of this world and the flesh hates the Lord and His righteousness, which is not earned but freely given by grace. You see, one of the problems is I want to earn it. I want to be good enough. If you watch TV, I guarantee you this. If you watch TV, you will see a lot of stuff in there about the law. Okay? I'm not, telling, I'm not trying to get down here by watching TV. I'm just trying to tell you, when you watch it, watch it with discernment. L.A. law, long time ago, that dates me. But now CSI, and what other kind of law? I don't know, there's a lot of shows out there. I thought I could remember all these, but I can't. I don't watch them anymore. But... I used to watch those things, and I'd be enthralled with them because it was all about the law and the investigation, and then they take them to trial. There's one that does that. My son watches. Which one is that that you really like? Yeah. And they, they, they'll bring them in. You know, they, they investigate. They find out who it is. Then they take them to court, and you get to see the whole thing. Isn't that cool? But it's all about what? The law. And that is what lost people, those who don't know the Lord, that's where they live. That's where the flesh lives. Why? It's trying to be good. It's trying to be good. I've even watched in movies where someone looks at someone else and says, tell me I'm a good person, and I yell at the TV, you're not. <laughs> at the end of Saving Private Ryan, and again, I'm not putting, getting down on Private, Saving Private Ryan, it's actually a pretty good movie, but he looks at his wife and says, tell me that I've lived a good life, tell me that I'm a good person, and I go, you're not, you're not, you're not. You're not. Your righteousness does not come up to the standard of God. It simply doesn't, and I don't care what you've been through. The self-life won't get it done, folks. And the law is never going to get it done because of the power of sin. And the moment someone tries to do good, the power of sin comes up and says, Excuse me, I, do, I believe you will not do that. And you die. And the same is true for them. And that's why they're asking the question, Tell me I'm a good person because they want to be a good person. And it doesn't matter how good you may or may not think you are, you're not good enough. Otherwise, why Jesus? What's the point of it? Why Jesus? And the world system hates that. And here's the thing. There's a battle going on. And everyone is involved in the argument. You too. And it's a battle that has already been won. At the cross. Through the blood of Jesus 
and the resurrection life of Jesus. He has defeated Satan and his foes. And you and I stand in a position of victory. Right now, we do not work towards victory. We work from a position of victory because we are already victorious. And so are you. And Satan wants to deceive not only the believer, but the world that they in and of themselves can be something. And they cannot apart from Jesus. Otherwise, why would he come? What's the point? And so the world resists that. And there's a conflict going on. And we live within a fallen kingdom. But we also live within the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. That lives within us. And that kingdom within a kingdom is resisted by the world. So don't be surprised by the trials and the difficulties. And when people don't include you. Uh, The other day, you know, uh, I'm getting ready to leave the company I'm at. And so I thought at some point they would invite me to one of their parties. But uh, they were having another get-together, and I secretly found out. I don't know how I found out. Somebody said something. But they don't invite me to the party. And I'm like, why don't you invite me to the parties? I want to come to your party. (laughs) And finally, somebody got honest. And they said, oh, Scott, you wouldn't enjoy it. I said, why? And then she told me all these things. And I said, okay, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe I wouldn't enjoy that. That is a testimony, not to Scott Cook. Who is that a testimony? Jesus Christ. Because when you come, you smell of death, and we don't want to have to think about that. Because we want to be okay in ourselves, in our righteousness, and they... They, they want to hold on to that. But here's the thing. The believer is there so that the love of God in Christ Jesus can break through that and show them that that is actually death and he is life. And they need that life. And that is a part of it. There's a constant resistance from this fallen world that Satan oversees, that man gave away his authority when he sinned, that is not in, in comfort with, if you will, the life of Jesus. In 1949, well, one other thing I want you to know too here. It's not just the world, it's not just lost people, but religion will always persecute that which reminds it of its hopelessness apart from Christ because of the flesh. Now, take this in. Most of the persecution I've endured as a believer has been from other Christians. Just think about that for a second. Most of it hasn't been from the world. Most of it has come from other Christians, other believers, Usually, from someone who says, you don't believe the way I do. You don't see things the way I do. I call them spiritual policemen. And usually it also comes because, that, because of, uh, the, the individual sees the church as an organization rather than a body, an organism. Does that make sense? We're family. And so, here's the thing. I'm the worst offender. When I was younger, that's what I did. Matter of fact, I probably did it worse than anyone I know. I had my list, and here's my 10 or 15 things, and if you're doing it, good for you, but if you're not, watch out. And I was in the law. I was in the old covenant, and I was trying to bring everybody else into the covenant with me. I got saved in the new covenant. I ran as quickly as I could back to the old covenant to see to it that everybody kept my list. But the Bible makes it clear that that is not how we live. For by grace you have been saved through 
faith, and that not of yourselves, is the work of God, not of work, or that is, work, is the grace of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Not of works, but grace. And I didn't understand grace because you see, when I grew up, I was on a performance mentality. And my parents, they didn't know any better, but that's what they did. And so as I got older, I put everybody else on a performance mentality. Rather than saying, it's the grace of God, everyone's on a spiritual journey, and if Jesus doesn't get it done, it won't happen. So the best thing I can do is intercede and let the love of God love them. And God, over time, broke me and continued to break me. And here's the thing. Constantly, my flesh wants to criticize, condemn, or or judge somebody else. When if they're in Christ, there is no condemnation. And we will persecute other believers when they don't think the way we do, they don't see the way we do, they don't look the way we do, they don't act the way we do, and we try to get them into our mold so that we feel better. And here's the thing. Not not for them. We don't really love them. We care about ourselves. It's a self-centered thing. And that's what it was for me. And I hurt so many people doing that. I hurt my, I mean, my ex-wife I hurt, my children I've hurt, other people in the ministry I've hurt, other pastors I've hurt, other folks in the church I hurt. I was not safe for, for the body of Christ. I'll be honest with you, I wasn't. And I persecuted them. Because I was on a performance mentality standard that if you didn't get on the same page with me, you were wrong. Not realizing that I was already off the page. And Jesus is the only one that can get you on. And when somebody comes to Christ, God doesn't say, here's 20 things, go do it. He comes to Christ, God says, you can't do any of it, that's great, I never said you could. I will do all of it through you because I've always told you I would. And that's grace. And that's why anyone who comes in here, no matter where they're at, wonderful, it's Jesus. We go to Jesus. So the persecution can come not only from the world and this system, because of Christ, but it can come from within religion. 1949, the communists defeated the nationalist Chinese. A teacher and preacher by the name of Watchman Nee chose to stay in mainland China rather than to flee to Taiwan. In 1952, he was arrested by the communists and tried in a rigged trial. He was sentenced to 20 years in prison, most of which was spent in solitary confinement. For 20 years, the communists attempted to brainwash Nee to have him recant his testimony of Jesus Christ. 20 years. When he was scheduled to be released in the spring of 72 at the age of 69, he was found dead in his prison cell. Many believe the communists poisoned him rather than allow him to be set free. A note was found hidden in the items that were given to his family, and it read this. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came into the world to save sinners through His blood, received by grace through faith. I will always believe that. After 20 years, they didn't get very far with me. Because of Christ within Him. Christ in Him. In 1949, there were roughly 100,000 Christians in China when the communists took over. Today, it is conservatively estimated that there are over 150 million believers in China. Amen. Can you stop the work of the Holy Spirit through Christ Jesus? No. Persecution, I try to tell folks, listen, you want to grow the church? Persecute it. It'll grow like a wildfire. God doesn't resist persecution. He uses it. What? For His glory. For His glory. Christ, who is our life, is victorious and always will be, regardless of the persecution or suffering we may go through. 
And you can go to Chinese house churches today and they will tell you it's the greatest blessing that God's ever given them. Because of it. And by the way, it's happening in North Korea. It's happening in Iran. Listen, persecute the church all you want. It'll just grow some more. The Chinese are trying to take down all the crosses. Uh, They don't get it. (laughs) It's not about what you can see physically. It's about what? The heart. And all you're doing is growing the church. And God grows his church. You see, Satan is just God's water boy. You and I don't really have any problems. Because God doesn't have a problem, does he? I mean, come on, does God have a problem? No, Jesus has no problems. Therefore, you're in Christ. Do you have any problems? Okay, wait a minute here. We got (laughs) to... You're in Christ Jesus, and he doesn't have any problems. Do you have any problems? No. You may be going through a storm and a situation, but you got Jesus in the boat. And what Jesus wants to know is, will you look at him and get your eyes off the problem? Because the problem's never the problem. The problem is the symptom of the problem, which is our heart. And God wants to use that for his glory if we'll let him. It's an amazing thing what God can do through that. Well... Look at Matthew 5.11. Let's keep going before I use up all our time. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Man, I got to tell you, when I read that as a younger believer, I was like, yeah, I want to sign up for that. You know, come on, let's go. Let's be a Christian. How in the world? Are you kidding me? (laughs) This is what I'm signing up for? But it's the truth. Blessed. When, you're, when others revile you, they persecute you. The word there again for blessed are you is present tense. This moment, you're blessed or you're spiritually prosperous. This moment, it's in the present tense. Others revile you is to reproach, insult, mock, or curse. To cast blame or denounce you. By the way, this is active. It's ongoing all the time. Persecute is to pursue with all haste. Like a hunter. This is a real hate and scorn. Utter all kinds of evil, actually speaking against you, and that which is wicked, malicious, on purpose to hurt you. Against you falsely is present tense, middle, passive voice. They do so knowingly to deceive and to lie, and in cooperation, if you will, with the devil. This, and and this is the key to the verse, I think. On my account. On my account. Now, you know, if, if you and I are jerks, that's one thing if we're persecuted, right? If we're just being a jerk you know, in our flesh, that's one thing. But it's another thing to be persecuted on his account, amen? It's a, that's different, on his account. They do this because of Jesus, because of opposition to him, his life and his life alone that rules in you. So what Jesus is saying here is because I rule in you, because I live in you, others will revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of things against you. Why? Because they're resisting that life of righteousness. This world system doesn't want anything to do with that. John 15, 18 through 21 says this, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world will love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I have said to you. A servant isn't greater than his master. If they persecuted me, this is Jesus speaking, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. That's what he said here earlier. Because, and this is key, they do not know him who sent me. You see, the world doesn't know Christ. I mean, I'll tell you, I've had... 
numerous opportunities to preach the gospel and to witness to people. And I'll tell you, and here's the thing. Evangelism is the work of the Holy Spirit. Evangelism is the work of the Holy Spirit. Evangelism is the work of the Holy Spirit. You and I are obedient by faith as His life works through us to tell people about Jesus. But I got news for you. I don't care how good your story is, how much you got your act together, how prepared you are, unless Jesus opens up their eyes and their ears, it's going to go woo. Because I've had people look at me like deer in a headlight. And then I've had people literally say, will you share with me about this? And I tell them about the gospel. Who's doing that? God's doing it. God opens up hearts. God opens up eyes. God's the one that opens up our, our minds to those things. Second Corinthians 4, 7-10 says this, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Think about that. We are hard-pressed on every side. We're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. Why is that? Because of the life of Jesus in us. Because of that hope we have in him. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We might be forsaken by this world, by people in the world, even by religious people, but not by Christ. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Listen, you may be down now. Everything's going wrong in your health, your family, your body. Listen, you're not destroyed. Christ lives within you, and the life of Jesus is greater than whatever's going on. It's greater than that. I'm not saying that it's not difficult. I'm saying that Jesus is greater than that. Here's my second point. Opposition is normal when we abide in Christ and walk by the Spirit. Opposition is normal when we abide in Christ and we walk by the Spirit. Expect it. It will happen. It's normal. This is so because of Christ in us that people will insult, they'll revile, they'll pursue us to oppose and persecute, they'll lie about us and what we really believe. Thus, you are spiritually prosperous and have reason to rejoice when that happens. Now, I will tell you this. There's a difference. Now, if I'm out uh, preaching something that is not spiritually, or is not truth, then that's one thing. That needs to be corrected. But if I'm living in Christ and living by the truth, and there was opposition, that's a different thing. That's a different thing. Some persecution may come through lost people, which is part of this world system that we already talked about. It's always going to oppose Christ. Other types of persecution will come from religious people, people who are Christians, as we talked about. But in reality, even they are opposing Jesus himself because they live by the works of the flesh rather than their, in their own soul efforts and strengths, rather than the life of Christ. They're living by the flesh, and the flesh will always persecute the spirit. Now get this. The flesh always persecutes the spirit. The flesh always will persecute the spirit, just as the devil is working through the world to procure, persecute believers, not only in their soul, but in their spirit as well. The flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh And you cannot do the things that you want. Out of Galatians chapter 5. The spirit lusts against the flesh and the the, uh, flesh against the spirit. So you cannot do the things that you want. That's the ideal. And you see opposition as we walk by the spirit and we abide in Christ is normal. But here's the thing. I don't know about you, but I really love the approval of people. 
I, in my flesh, I know that in my flesh there dwells no good thing. In my spirit, I'm one with Christ, and that's wonderful. But in my flesh, that part of me that God is crucifying moment by moment, because he can't do it five minutes from now, and I don't worry about what he did five minutes ago. I want approval. What that means is I am desperately hoping that you think I'm the best ever up here. Oh, I want to feel so good about today's message. And oh, how, and wouldn't it be wonderful if I was like one of the best you've ever heard? And wouldn't it even be better if I was better than Billy Graham? If that's what you thought. And oh, if I could just get that approval out of you. Man, I'm hoping you'll come by and say something to me. That's really who Scott Cook is. In all of his glory. And that is who has to die. By the cross. And it can only happen moment by moment. Now please don't come and tell me I did a bad job today. I mean, if you feel that way, that's fine. Okay, just hold on to that. You know, kind of meditate on that. That's good. I'm good with that. No. I mean, if you have a good a word of exhortation, bring it. Right? <laughs> that's fine. Here's my point. Is that there is a natural opposition to the work of the Spirit in your life. And if we're looking for the approval of man, the approval of people, religious institutions, denominations, if we're looking to try and be like everybody else, and we're going to define success the way everybody else defines success, you know what? We're looking for something other than Jesus. And God says, I can't bless that. Because I only bless Jesus. And what Jesus does, that's what I bless. His life, working in us. And I had to die because that was that fear of rejection. I also have a fear of failure. I don't want to fail. Well, guess what gets to come to my life? Failure. Failure and rejection. Why? So that I won't look to man, I'll look to who? Christ. And that sometimes comes in the form of persecution. The form of persecution. Uh, Gene Edwards in his book, Crucified by Christians, relates the fact that over the years, the greatest persecution that he has seen has come from within the church, brother against brother, sister against sister. As, our, as Brother Kevin said last week, the average pastor stays less than four years at a church. Do you realize how blessed we are to have one pastor for 17 years? That is a phenomenon. When, he, when Dave told me how long he'd been there, I was like, tell me again. Having been in the ministry myself, that is a long time. That's a credit to Jesus Christ in his life, as well as what God's done in y'all's hearts. It's a credit to Jesus Christ. Christians attack each other over meaningless issues while the world looks at us and sees the disunity of the body, the lack of true love and grace and rejects what they see. Why would I want to be a part of a group that doesn't know anything but to attack each other? Jesus told them, they'll know you by what? Your love. And he said, Father, I pray that they would be one as we are one, I and them and they and I and us and you. That we would be what? One. I can no more separate from you or anyone else who's a person in Jesus Christ than I can take, you know, my soul out of my body. Jesus Christ is what causes us to have that unity and oneness in the Spirit. And when people see that, not only do they oppose it, but they will know that it's real. They'll know that it's real. Opposition is normal when we abide in Christ and we walk by the Spirit. By the way, when we walk by the flesh, we can get out of persecution. Because when we're walking in the flesh, we're just basically walking like a lost person does. And they can relate to us. Oh, I love that. Just don't abide in Christ and walk by the Spirit. 
where Christ touches my life. I don't want that. All right, last part. Chapter, uh, verse 12 says this. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. And he's bringing this, he's trying to help us understand. Hey, you've gone through this, now this is what's going to happen. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, you're part of a really good crowd if you're persecuted. You're going through attack. You're part of a really good crowd. The word rejoice there is kairos. It's, it's translated to be glad, joy, God's grace. This is in the present tense, and it has an imperative, which it means it's a command. This is a command. When you go through trials, difficulties, and, and you're persecuted, rejoice. Well, the only way you can do that is if you believe God's in control. That nothing in your life is a mistake. That every day was written in his book before ever there was one of them. You know, one of the most freeing things in my life was to realize that there was never a second in my life that was a mistake. That my father, through his sifted hand, because he loved me, allowed everything that came into my life, and if I could see God in it, I could see his purpose, I could see his work, and I could rejoice. Paul says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Someone comes to me and says, what's the will of God for me? Rejoice always, even when you're persecuted, even when things are tough. Pray always, pray without ceasing. What is that? It's abiding. That's what abiding is. It's just being in constant contact and recognizing Jesus all the time. And then give thanks. How often? All the time. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. That's the ideal of this verse. There are no mistakes. There's no moment that God isn't in control. Can I explain all of your problems? No, I cannot. I am not God. But I will tell you this. Jesus Christ is Lord of all at this moment. And it is those things that the devil wants to hang us up on rather than having our focus on the person of Jesus. And be glad is exult, full of joy. Rejoice greatly, exceedingly. Again, in the present tense. And it's also an imperative. It's a command. Exult. In other words, he's saying rejoice greatly, mega, a lot, exceedingly glad. Why? So because there's a reward that comes with it, and it comes by faith. These are the rewards that a believer receives based on what Christ did through us by the Spirit, not fleshly efforts. If you're going through persecution or God's allowing something into your life, he's doing that because of the person of Jesus Christ in you, but also to refine and to change. And it doesn't come through fleshly effort. It comes by faith in the Spirit. And then he says, is great in heaven, much, great amount. This really is a big word, numerous, many, and it's in heaven. Your reward is there. It's not here, which really should be our focus. Sometimes what I see as people are on the spiritual journey is it's very difficult to take the focus off the world and begin to see that focus and bring that focus to Jesus himself. Have you had that? Have you ever dealt with that? You know what I found out about myself? I have a divided heart. I love Jesus. Oh yeah, I love Jesus. But I still love a lot of these things. I still love the approval of man. Oh I hope some of y'all come and tell me that afterwards. Whoa, yeah. I love that. I love that title at work. Oh, man, I love that. I love what it gets me. I love my image. I love my glory. I love the kingdom I'm building. I love my strength, and I love that I have righteousness. And you know what this world is good for is to destroy all of that. So that Jesus 
alone is your righteousness. He's your image. He's your glory. He's your strength. It's his kingdom. Whose other other kingdom do we want to build on? Our kingdoms will all fall away. But it's his kingdom. That's what he's saying here. And the reward comes through him. And it's great in heaven. And then he says, For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. They are the Jews. The Jewish nation. Those who were religious under the old covenant. In some instances, those in complete rebellion to the Lord and his commands. Before the exodus, uh, before the, uh, they were exiled into Babylon. Basically, the, northern, the southern kingdom was dispersed. Throughout, you know, really throughout Assyria and other areas of the world. Out of the southern kingdom, but then the northern king, or excuse me, the northern kingdom was dispersed. Out of the southern kingdom, Judah, the Babylonians came in and took them over. And they were just absolutely in opposition. But later, after they came back, between the time that they came back from Babylon and the time of Christ, even then they were in rebellion to what God wanted to do in the Messiah. So that by the time the Messiah came, it was all about laws and rules, and there were so many rules and so many things that they had added to it, you couldn't even possibly get to it all. Because it was all about self-effort. This reminds us of Jeremiah the prophet who was put into a pit and left there by the king because he didn't want to hear the message of the prophet. He said, man, I don't want to hear that. Put that guy in a pit. You want to talk about tough. Jeremiah had it tough. The only reason he was saved is by God's grace. And he used other people to do that. The flesh is always resistant to the words and work of the spirit. Always. When they were persecuted by Jews still living in the Old Covenant, they were walking in the steps of the prophets. And the letter of Hebrews is really to a group of people who are being persecuted because they want to walk in the New Covenant, coming out of the Old Covenant and all the rules and regulations that go with that, all the going into the temple. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, Jesus is better than all that. And the way you enter into that is by faith. And we've been talking about that in our Hebrews class. Coming out of the old. See, we're saved in the new covenant, but we end up going back what? To the old. And we live by the rules and and the regulations of the law. And this is what the writer, this is what Jesus is talking about. He said, listen, you're going to be persecuted because of that. You're coming out of that into the new. There will be persecution, just as the prophets were persecuted. James 1, 2 through 4 says this. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Wow. Anybody pray for patience? Yeah. You may have, you know, in our world, I don't know how much persecution you've been through, but that can be difficult. That can be difficult. I had an individual, when I first came to where I was working, who found out about my background as a pastor, you know, and not only that, Southern Baptist. uh, That was even worse. And so uh, I wasn't ashamed of it, but that, for that guy, it was bad. And he, what I didn't know is he had come out of a Pentecostal background, and he had really grown up with a lot of legalism. Uh, and if you came out of that, I'm not getting down on that. I'm just saying that's, that's what he experienced. And for the next three years, this guy tried to get me fired. And I, I had, he was a part of my team. I had to work with him. And there was one night, I was like, God... Why don't you fight? Won't you get rid of him? <laughs> That'll fix the problem. Let's just get rid of that guy. And the Lord said, "No, he is my tool in your life. He's my tool in your life." And I said, "Why? Why would you do that?" Because I love you. And through persecution and through 
trials and through difficulties is how you come to know me. Because you won't do it on your own, Scott. You'll keep going back to your flesh. You'll keep going back to your self-effort. You'll keep going back to what you do well rather than coming to me into the narrow way by faith. And today, uh, when I told the direct reports that I was leaving, that man is still there. He considers me his friend. I got to witness to him when I was on the beaches of Miami about a year and a half ago. First time. Took eight and a half years. I had to wait eight and a half years before God would give me an opportunity to witness to him. And I kept praying for him and God said, do you care more about being able to say something to him or do you care more about my work in him? I'll give you an opportunity when it's my time, Scott. And we were sitting there at a beach, coffee shop, drinking, and I mean, he asked me, he said, well, I guess none of us are good enough, are we? And I said, no, and that's why Jesus had to come. And Warren said, what do you mean by that? That's my first opportunity to witness. Eight and a half years later. And when we were in this meeting, I told everybody I was leaving. I had several people saying, Neil, thank you so much. This guy began to share and he began to weep about how I had been his friend and how I had encouraged him. And, and, not, and it's not about me. It's not about me. Because I don't think I really did that, but he thinks I did. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Jesus ultimately is what people need. They may resist it. They may persecute you over it. They may come against you over it, but it's what they need. They don't need all of our abilities and our, and our efforts, they need Jesus. And when they taste Jesus, they know it. And he couldn't explain that, but what he was telling those people is, I've tasted Jesus and I like it. I didn't taste the raw and the regulations and the rules and I shouldn't do this and I shouldn't do that. I tasted Jesus. And, I, and as he sat there sharing, the Lord said, that's why you've been here ten years and he's been my tool in your life isn't that wonderful the point is this in the midst of opposition we overcome by faith through thanksgiving and praise the language of faith is thanksgiving and praise jesus says that rejoice exalt be glad by the way it's in the imperative it's command do it not how you feel because you'll never feel this way do it by faith the language of faith is praise and worship. In, just ignore how you feel. It's not, you know what? We have lying emotions. We talked about that in Hebrews today. Lying emotions. We run to God with our mind, but we run away from Him with our emotions. We say, we do this. Ever, ever, ever have that before? We hold people at a distance, and we keep doing like that. And we do it to God. Because we have a wrong concept of God. The language of faith is praise. Have a different viewpoint of persecution. See it from God's perspective and then rejoice because your focus is eternal, though there is temporary suffering now. There can be and there will be. Look to the things that are eternal and let those who came before us, who also suffered, be an encouragement to us. Remember, your home is heaven, not this earth. I buried my mother, I guess a month and a half ago. We did not put her car in the ground with her. None of her dresses went in there. She was cremated. None of her rings went in there. None of her money. I, I, I tried to get the bank accounts in there. We couldn't do it. 
None of that went there. It's all coming to my house. No, I'm joking. <laughs> it's not coming to my house. A little bit of it did. You know what we did? A lot of it, we sold it for cash. It's somebody else is using it. I don't know how, because some of those pots and pans are falling apart. But they are. They bought that stuff. Listen, our home is not here. It's, it, it's in the Lord Jesus. It's in heaven. That's your home. We're pilgrims in a foreign land. And when you're in a foreign land, just as I was persecuted in Germany, so you and I will be persecuted in this life. Because there is a war going on between Satan and the Lord. And we're all a part of the argument. And we live in a foreign country by the Spirit. Hebrews 12, 1-2 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In, in 1740, there was the first great awakening that God used George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards with. About 70 years later, there was a second great awakening in America. Mostly in the New York area, but it spread throughout the country in the 18, early 1800s. In the 1850s, there was a third great awakening. Not as great as the others, but there, it was just before the Civil War. But since that time, there's been tremendous political, economic, and military expansion in the United States. There's also been something else. A leaving of God. And folks, what I'm trying to say to you is this is that there is persecution and difficulty coming. I'm in my 50s. I may not see it. I don't know. But I believe with all my heart that it is coming for those who live in this country. And there's going to come a day that if you're going to name the name of Christ, it will cost you something. It may cost you a job. I think that is in the next five to ten years. It may cost you positions. It may cost you houses. It may cost you money, relationships. And in 20 years, who knows? Why not begin now to live by faith through grace in the Lord Jesus? And so as that comes, which it inevitably will because of the second coming, his life lived through you touches other people. And isn't that what makes the difference?